Hey, hey, the trees might not have tongues, but we sure as hell do. Hey, it's the Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, I am uh, one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy. Uh, joining me, as always, uh, the tree speaker we, not the tree speaker we need, but the tree speaker we deserve. It's Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. Hello. I, I got the intro out of order. We're that podcast about those franchises of one, those films that fancied themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. Steven, Brett, how's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going all right. Um, I'm very tired because this movie put me to sleep. <laughs> um, that's right. Uh, we are we're talking about a movie that um might question mark fit our format, but we're talking about it anyway because it's one of the only chances we will get uh to eulogize the late great Betty White, uh, who passed away uh just to like cap off the bummer of, of last year uh, who, who passed away at the age of 99, just a couple weeks shy of her 100th birthday. Brett, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about 2012's the Dr. Seuss's the Lorax 2012's Dr. Seuss's the Lorax. What a, what a name for a movie uh, directed by Chris Renault and uh, Kyle Balda based on a screenplay by Cinco Paul and Ken Dario. Uh, which is, of course, based on the book by the legendary Theodore Dr. Seuss Geisel uh, and starring in the title role, Danny DeVito, as well as Zac Efron, Taylor Swift, Ed Helms, the late great Betty White, Rob Riggle, Jenny Slate, Nassim Pedrad, Elmery Wendell and the great Stephen Tobolowsky uh, in this movie. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, based on, you know, that cast and that book, this is kind of one of those things where all the source material is absolutely incredible. Uh, everything around it is incredible. And somehow uh, it turns out not great. No, not at all. <laughs> you read off that cast list and most of them have two lines. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a bit disappointing uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. Also, uh, you cast uh, two uh, very good singers in uh in two of your main roles, uh, Zac Efron and Taylor Swift. And then in a shocking twist of fate, don't have them sing a note in this movie. It's a little strange and I don't quite understand it. Yeah. It's, it's a choice. It's a, I mean, you know, you can't, you, you Taylor Swift is a stunt cast in this movie. Uh, if anything, uh, her acting roles up to this point in her career, uh, were mostly limited to music videos. She had played a character on an episode of CSI, and she was also in, in 2010, she was in the Gary Marshall film Valentine's Day. I think it's a Gary Marshall film. Let me double check that to make sure. That's a, Yeah, it's a Gary Marshall film. Just trust your instincts, Stephen. Most of the time they're right. Um, and then was a voice in the Lorax. Other than that, it's literally just all music videos. Like, because she's got tons of credits before this movie, but they are with the exception of those other two roles, they're music videos. Um, so there you go. Unless you count Brett, would you count the 2009 MTV movie awards where she was the forks high school student in the cold open skit? Sure. Why not? Okay. Then three, three roles before this movie. But I mean, she's, she's not really known as an actress, uh, still not really known as an actress, uh, known predominantly as a singer. Uh, and yet they don't have her sing here at all. Um, not the only movie we will probably get to talk about Taylor Swift with regard to, cause she was also in, uh, the 2014 film, the giver. 
Uh, and that was her last role before she ended up in Cats in 2019 uh, as Bamba Lorena. Because Cats oh. is just cuckoo effing banana pants. Oh, Cats. If only we could talk about that one. But Cats never got a sequel, right? It so. was it, No, it, the, the Broadway show didn't even get a sequel. So it there's never, really never, nothing. They never wanted it to be a sequel. Just as a standalone thing. And we can't ever talk about it. And isn't that upsetting? That is upsetting. Um, I'm Phantom of the Opera. I mean, that one got a sequel. We could probably talk about the Joel Schumacher Phantom of the Opera if we wanted to. If we wanted to get into like musical theater. Because that show got a, a, a stage sequel. Okay, yeah, we could do that. Maybe. Why not? Look, it really doesn't matter. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift who? doesn't matter. Look, what we're talking about, why we're talking about the Lorax today is because of Betty White. Okay? Correct. There's brass tacks here. No, it, we're, only, we're only talking about this movie because it's really like the only Betty White movie we could kind of cover. Here's the thing. This technically doesn't really fit our format either. Um because, well, OK, so I, I was I did some digging on this and I found two articles, uh, one from a fairly reputable site uh, slash film, uh, which said that they spoke to Universal and that Universal, even though this movie made uh, so much money, uh, they had no plans to make a sequel because it was a standalone story that had a happy ending. Uh, does the book have a happy ending? Doesn't matter. The movie does. Um, so they weren't really planning to sequelize it. Then there was another website, perhaps less reputable, called uh, Taste of Country, uh, where uh, they said that a, quote, source close to the studio said that they were hoping to do a sequel or that they were thinking of a sequel and that they hoped Taylor would return for it. Uh, now, people on the Internet want there to be a sequel to this movie. I'm not entirely sure why, but they do. And um, so but but as far as I know, it was not intended as a franchise starter. It is actually the second of the Illumination Dr. Seuss adaptations, the first being uh, the uh, Horton Hears a Who movie from 2008. And uh, this was the Widow Seuss's uh, or the Widow Geisel, I should say, her pick for the second adaptation in that series. The third, of course, is the Benedict Cumberbatch Grinch film. Yeah, see, here's the thing. If there's, we know this. We've been doing this long enough. Mm -hmm. Of course, they wanted it to be a sequel. I don't care what Slash Film says. Like this was an animated movie that made a crap ton of money. Don't tell me they didn't look. Maybe we could make a sequel out of this. Yeah, there's not really a book to adapt, so you'd kind of have to do your own story. But here's the thing: most of this movie is not in the book. I would argue I mean, that a good maybe maybe a, f a third of this movie is not anything that's actually in the book. It's really more of an adaptation of the book, right? Uh, really? I mean, the middle part is like everything from the boy going to meet the onceler to the unless portion, which is the emotional uh, should be the emotional linchpin of the film. Uh, that's the book. Uh, and then all the all the framing device stuff with Needville and Aloysius O'Hare, um, that is that is completely invented for this film. Well, but if I remember the book, it, it's it's not in the book, but it's not not in the book. Like they don't I mean, the book never says anything about where the boy comes from. Sure. So just because the book never mentions he comes from anywhere, it doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't a thing. Right. But the the. The this movie takes, I would say, significantly more liberties with the book 
than um than it might otherwise need to do um it would be like if you uh say do an adaptation of like i don't know the cat in the hat and um there's a whole like framing device centered around like the cat in the hat's mysterious origins and how he got his hat and like how he met thing one and thing two uh, and then he then he like the last maybe like there's a big chunk in the middle where he does like all the stuff from the book. And then at the end, it's like him defeating some other nemesis or so, I don't know. It's bizarre. It, it's I, been a while since I saw the Mike Myers movie, so I don't really remember if that happened. And and see that that's probably one we could potentially cover because that one was there. There a there is a sequel to the cat in the hat called uh, the cat in the hat comes back. Um, and uh I, I think they had some big plans for that movie. After that movie, though, uh, the Widow Geisel said, okay, no more live action adaptations of these books. We're just going to stick to animation from here on out, uh, which is when Illumination got the uh, got the deal. And so we get Horton, here's a who we get this movie. We get the Grinch. Then didn't didn't the, wait. What's the order of operations of Jim Carrey Grinch and Mike Myers Cat in the Hat? Uh, it, it's Jim Carrey Grinch, then Mike Myers Cat in the Hat, like a year or two later. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Jim Carrey Grinch, I think, is 2000, 2001? 2000. It's 2000. It's the highest grossing film of the year 2000, which is an insta- insane statistic that I know off the top of my head. Why? Don't ask. It's probably not worth getting into. Um, but yeah, that's 2000. And then Cat in the Hat is 2003. And then after that, Whittle Geisel says, okay, yeah, we're not doing this again. So, but Jim Carrey also in Horton Hears a Who plays, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the titular Horton. All right. I didn't see that one either. Uh, And Steve Carell plays um, the titular Who that is heard. To be honest with you, I really only ever saw the Jim Carrey Grinch in terms of live action or animated big screen uh, Dr. Seuss adaptations. I mean, same. I, uh... Look, did I grow up with Dr. Seuss? Yes. Was I a big fan of his? Not really. Really? Yeah. Don't ask me why. I was about to. So it's a good thing you said uh, that because that was that was literally going to be the next word out of my mouth is why. Well, because like when you think about it, I'm sure a lot of people of our generation, when they think of Dr. Seuss, they have very fond memories, very, very nostalgic, fuzzy memories of it. When I think back on it, I'm just like, yeah, those are books I read, I guess. I just don't, they don't really hold any sort of weight to me. I don't know why. The language didn't do much to capture your imagination? I guess it didn't. Because really it's the language and the inventiveness of Dr. Seuss that kind of makes him stand out. Um, like just the way he turns a phrase and, and the absurdity of the rhymes that he's able to concoct. I mean, that's really the genius of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a very genius man. He is. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the good doctor. Uh, Theodore Geisel uh, was his name. He is, uh, he was actually, he started as a political cartoonist from Springfield, Massachusetts is where he's from. Um, but yeah, he was a, he was a political cartoonist. So he's got like some very, str- uh, very strong political ideology. Um, which you can see at play in a lot of his books. Yes, these are books for kids, but they're often 
very cautionary tales. Um, two of my favorites actually are the Lorax, which is very much an environmental anti-industrial kind of message. Uh, and then the great butter battle, which is an allegory for the cold war, um, which is kind of awesome. Um, the great butter battle, uh, one I saw on TV as a kid, it's about the arms race, the nuclear arms race and how, um, really the only difference between these two people is what side of the bread they butter. Um, they, they either butter the top side or the bottom side. And that is the reason that we're going to war. That's the reason we have this constantly escalating arms race. And the book ends with this very kind of, um, it, it ends with a, a question, a moral quandary, uh, two people holding these, you know, ultimate weapons that are the size of like a pill in their hands, kind of looking at each other over the side of a wall and the, the idea that what, well, if you move or do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, I'm going to drop this and we're all going to die. Um, and then this, the, the Lorax, another favorite of mine ends in very much the same way, which is, um, Hey, we kind of screwed up the environment. Um, because uh we were because of our unsustainable practices and the pollution and everything so um uh unless we start carrying again we're pretty much doomed so you know uh prescient filmmaker he uh yurtle the turtle is all about fascism i mean it's it's just that kind of he's he's that kind of writer uh and he writes these things in terms that are very accessible to children, but he's really unpacking these much bigger ideas. Um, even something as simple as green eggs and ham, which was written because his publisher or someone challenged him that bet him that he couldn't write a book with only 50 words. And so he wrote green eggs and ham, which has exactly 50 words in it. Um, but it's about trying new things. It's about, um, having new experiences and not discounting something just because of how it looks or what you might think of it initially. Um, and that can expand into any number of ways. Um, I could go on and on like doc for me, Dr. Seuss is kind of a foundational figure. In fact, when my, the first of my four nephews was born, um, I bought him a copy of the Dr. Seuss book, happy birthday to you and literally showed up at the hospital where he was being born to give it to my sister, to give to him. Um, and I, the first thing I did when I met him was read that book to him. Um, like Dr. Seuss is something that uh, is, is a writer that I've always cherished and always loved. And I, I was very happy to be able to start to pass those things down onto uh, my nephews as well. And just a couple years ago, my nephew asked me for another Dr. Seuss book. And so I got him another Dr. Seuss book and I hadn't gotten him one for a couple years. So like it just, you know, he loves Dr. Seuss too now. So it keeps going. Well, that's cool. I, you know, I really have no explanation as to why he does not hold the same sort of place in my heart. I honestly, I would recommend revisiting some of his stuff. Like it's, I, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Like he's got some really, really good stuff and some really interesting things to say. Um, uh, about the world in which he lived, like he responds very much to the the evils of his age. Like when he's writing these things in the fifties, sixties, seventies, he's responding to the things that he sees. Um, which is why I think his books have the kind of resonance that they do. Um, I'm not saying every single one of them is gold, um, or that every single one of them is not without uh, perhaps a 
necessary degree of of uh, controversy, but he did get recently get idea, called in question. Yes, um, but you know, just he he's a he's a formative foundational writer, and um, I I enjoy a number of his books. I won't say I enjoy them all. I've not read them all, so I can't really say that in good in good faith. But um, those that I have read, I have enjoyed. Um, have I read them critically recently? Probably not. Um, should I? Probably. But um, but my memories of Dr. Seuss are fond ones. And the Lorax in particular is one of my favorite of his books, which is why I have such strong feelings about this movie. Well, I look forward to checking out One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. As as well you should. Um, the uh, the Sneeches. A 37-year-old man, I look forward to reading Oh yeah, the, the the real fun is going to be going to the library to pick all those up, um, or or sitting in the children's department of your local bookstore. <laughs> Not going to do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You could probably get them all on your Kindle now. Probably is all good. Um, so yeah, so let's let's get into the Lorax a little more. So like we said, this is the second uh, Doctor Seuss book adapted by Illumination. Illumination is the studio best known for Despicable Me, as evidenced by the minions at the front of this, like at the the introduction of this silly movie, chopping down a truffula tree because the minions are evil, lest we forget. They're cute and every boomer mom on Facebook loves them, but they are still evil. There's a reason why the minions movie had them um, frozen in the Antarctic through the entirety of the 30s and 40s. Um, because if they weren't, they would have been Nazis. That's that's true. I'm sorry. That's true. There's a reason that happened. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Illumination Entertainment before that, I think they had done um, the Ice Age movies, perhaps. Um, but they, you know, uh, nowadays, they're one of the larger um, animation studios based on the strength of the Despicable Me franchise. Like that is kind of their, their bread and butter for good or ill. That's, that's just what it is. Um, but yeah, let's get into the plot of this film uh, before we start digging into the performances and eulogizing the late, great Betty White. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit about the plot. And to do that, we're going to get into a little segment we call the plot in 60 seconds, where we flip the coin of justice who decides um which of us, Brett or myself, will recount the plot of 2012's The Lorax in 60 seconds or less? Brett, call the coin of justice in the air as I flip it. Heads. Oh, you bastard is heads. All right. Well, I, God. I suppose after a, a couple weeks off, I was due. I really didn't want to do it this week. <laughs> I get it, man. I get it. All right. So if you would put 60 seconds on the clock, I will go ahead and do that plot in 60 for you. Okay. So you let me know when you got that and I will let her rip. Okay, go. Ah, all right. So there's this uh, kid who's got a crush on a girl who's horny for trees. So he's like, I'm going to get you a real tree uh, because everything's plastic. And um, the villain of the movie is out of Spaceballs. Uh, he, like he's literally Mel Brooks's character from Spaceballs. Um, so he meets this dude named the Onesler who like got rid of all the trees because he's a terrible businessman and doesn't know about a sustainable business model because uh, he turned all the truffula trees into Thneeds, which is uh, an article of clothing that does literally everything. Um, and so um, 
he gives the kid a seed. The kid goes back and tries to plant the seed. Um, and everyone's freaked out by it. And his grandma is played by Betty White and she's the, probably the best part of this movie. And, uh, so he plants the seed and the guy, they kick the Mel Brooks character from Spaceballs out of the town. They sing a song about how they should let it grow. And the Definitely. Lorax comes back and is like, Hey, you did good once. And the ones was like, I guess. And apparently everyone is living happily ever after in the new green world. And that's the time. That's time you did it. Not not a lot of um, not a lot of plot in this movie, really. If I'm being real no, honest, you really skipped a good like seventy, no, ninety five, ninety percent of this movie, because uh, most of it is um, invented conflict for the sake of making this in padding this into a uh, uh, an eighty six minute runtime, and it is. I got to tell you, it's a long eighty six minutes. Yeah, it is a long ass 86 minutes. This movie. Uh, oof. So very boring. Um, so um, did Brett, did you? Uh, uh, so on Facebook, I announced actually today because uh, we're recording this one later than you we usually do. Uh, I announced on Facebook today that we would be dropping this episode uh, this week. And uh, I got a comment from a uh, friend of the show, uh, Andrew, uh, who said that we should check out um, Thneed Talk. Did you did you get on Thneed Talk at all today, Brett? I saw that you sent me the link. I did not check it out. So apparently a Thneed is like an actual thing now. Um, and it's basically an article of clothing that can be repurposed for other um for other purposes, basically. Um, and there's a whole subset of TikTok that is devoted to needs. Um, but yeah, apparently it's a very real thing. Uh, it, so basically it's one article of clothing that can, that has multiple uses, like a scrunchie that you can make into a dress. That's a need. Interesting. Yeah. So like that's, that's apparently that's a thing. I learned, I learned that today. That's a thing I learned today. Um, in this movie, I feel like there should be a song all only that's only about all the things a Thneed can do. Like that seems like a very obvious missed opportunity in this movie. Uh, I mean, doesn't his original Thneed advertising song kind of do that? I mean, it talks about how Thneeds are useful, but it doesn't really go into all the different, at least not from my recollection. Again, this movie is boring enough i may have fallen asleep during that song and not realized it um but I, I, at least i don't remember the only thing i remember is him like walking through the walking the lorax through its various uses like it's a hat it's a pillow it's a it, it does this and this and it cleans up you know the floor because you guys are dirty and you got your shoes all over it like that's what i remember like prior to him actually singing the song to the people that's what i remember right the the shoes that the woodland animals wear. Right. Yeah. I forgot the word for feet. Give me a break, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's we're three days into this new year and you're already giving me shit. Can't have it. Happy uh, new year. Happy new year, everybody. Yeah. I, I should have probably said that at the beginning. It's, it's the first episode of 2022. Aren't you so freaking excited? <laughs> you better be. Woohoo. It's going to be a good one. All right. I'm manifesting it. That's absolutely put it in the put it in the ether, man. Put it in the air like just we're just going to make this one a good year. Um, 
Omicron be damned. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, this movie, it, I've, I've got so many problems with this movie. Where, where do I start with my problems with this movie? Um, let's start Go off, man. Let's I'm just let's, it's for me. I'm going to just be up front with you. I don't have problems. I just thought it was boring and I didn't care. Uh, fair enough. So like you, you are more into the source material and what is wrong with this adaptation. So go off my friend. So here's, here's the thing. And here's, there are things that I thought this movie did okay with. Um, but I'll probably talk about those briefly at the end because there's so few of them. Um, I guess my biggest problem with this movie is the casting of Danny DeVito as the Lorax. Um, interesting. It was an interesting choice. There is a nobility and a dignity to the Lorax in the um, in the book that just does not exist in Danny DeVito's performance at all. He's just like this blue collar. Yeah, I speak for the trees. What do you want? I'm Danny DeVito. Shut up. Um, like just DeVito does not have it like it's not part of his persona. Um, and here's the thing. DeVito can play that. I think he I know he can because I've seen him play it in other things. Um, he's not doing that here. He literally is just like this blue collar working stiff guy. And I'm not saying he needs to be this stuffy upper crust British guy. But there's like I said, he's speaking for nature. There's something noble. There's something dignified about that that just is not coming through in DeVito's performance whatsoever. Um, so that I think that's a big problem. I understand why you cast Danny DeVito. He's a recognizable name. Like he's he's kind of in the DeVito sense, I guess, around this time. Um, like he's deep into his like eternal run on it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's six years into his run on it's always sunny in Philadelphia at this point, which I mean, that's the thing that kind of brings him back. Um, but even then, like he had not done a lot of big things, but you know, he's still, he's a recognizable name. You, you say Danny DeVito, people know you're talking about. He's also kind of a meme at this point, like unto himself, he's a meme. Like you say Danny DeVito and everyone's like already just got like just mountains and mountains of goodwill. Um, I'm a big fan of his directorial work personally, which had ended in 2003 with the duplex. Um, he'd done a, a several, he's done several shorts since then, but that was his last feature. Um, have you ever seen any of the movies that Danny DeVito has directed, Brett? What are the movies he's directed? And I will tell you, he has directed six feature length films in chronological order, starting in 1987, throw mama from the train, the war of the roses, Hoffa, Matilda, death to smoochie and duplex. I've seen throw mama from the train and Matilda. Okay. War of the roses and death to smoochie is like a two way tie for my favorite of his movies. I still need to catch Hoffa and duplex, but I'm a big fan of his directorial work. I think he is a fantastic director. No one does a dark comedy or I would go so far as to say a black comedy quite like Danny DeVito. Like you can tell he's got a really twisted sense of humor and it's on full display. Like it's, it's fantastic. He's a very, very good director. Um, and he kind of got his chops. He earned his, he earned his, his, his craft in the, in the eighties, um, starting with taxi and then moving on to terms of endearment, romancing the stone, the ratings game, Johnny dangerously jewel of the Nile. Like he's had 
He is apparently in the music video for Ghostbusters, Brett. Can you confirm? Yeah, no, there's a whole montage at the end of the video of various celebrities from around that time singing the theme song. So, yeah, yeah, he absolutely is. All right. Well, there you go. That's a thing I learned today. Um, but I mean, he kind of comes up as a, as, as a pretty prominent actor. Um, and I, I, I often like his performances. This one, I don't know if it's him or if it's the direction. I don't think what he's doing fits the Lorax in this movie. I just, again, there's, there's a nobility, there's a dignity that I know he can play that he's just not playing. In fact, the character becomes a punchline for most of the movie, which is, which I think undercuts the message of the movie because the character that you're supposed to be listening to, the character who is right is treated as every bit as much of a buffoon as every other character in the movie. Um, And that's a problem uh, because if you don't take him seriously, you don't take his message seriously, Uh, which is ultimately why I think this movie is unsuccessful. Well, his message is never very impactful. It never comes across as like something to be listened to. And And maybe, maybe that's because of Danny DeVito's performance, but it's also the writing. I was going to say, I think it might be more the writing and I think DeVito's playing to the script, but I think the script is wrong. It's just like, man, you, you shouldn't mess with these trees or else. And even the ones that was even like, or else what? Well, you said you were going to do something. What happened? And it's just like, that's not how it works. What do you mean? That's not how it works. Why did, what? You're the protector of these. You're the mystical protector of all of these trees. And you're threatening me to not do something. Why? It's almost like he's like, do the right thing because it's the right thing. Yeah. And in the in the book, I if I remember the book correctly, it's it's been a while since I've read it. I almost called my sister today and had her read it to me over the phone, but I didn't because who's got the time? Um, like, hey, can you read me a story? Calling your little sister to have her read you a story in the middle of the day—that's just that's some bullshit. Um, or adorable, one of the two. I'm not one sure. Of the, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, but at any rate, I did not do that. But in the so right after I watched this, I watched the 1972 TV special that they did uh, for this book. Um, and in that one, it's only a half an hour. It's like 25 minutes, but there's a progression. Like thing, you see things get steadily worse. The humming fish, the barbalutes the Swami Swans, like they all kind of gradually go away because the ecosystem around them is being destroyed. And this movie is so concerned with the trying to, you know, put in the bad jokes and escalate the, um, the quote unquote characters um, that there's not a progression. It's just all of a sudden, Oh, that was the last tree, I guess. Bye. Um, and that's kind of where it, like, there's no, like the barbalutes, there's not this slow march of the barbalutes. There's not this, uh, you don't see all the humming fish, like just walk up out of the water and slowly trudge toward Lake Erie where things are just as bad. Um, you know, you don't see the Swami swans kind of like flapping away, coughing and wheezing, Um, Like you see a couple of scenes where the animals are affected, but it's not 
an emotional core. It's not an emotional through line through the film. It's just a thing that happens. And most of the time it's treated as kind of a punchline because, oh, the Swami Swan threw, flew through the fog and now his feathers are off and he's coughing. <laughs> Isn't that funny, kids? Um, but, like you know, or, oh, the we're dumping uh, sludge on the fish. Oh, that's bad. That, we shouldn't do that, kids. Like it's, it's all that kind of thing. And it doesn't, the ramifications are not explored and I get it. It's a movie for kids, but if you're going to adapt a book as uncompromising as the Lorax, your story should be uncompromising. I don't know. Call me, call me crazy, but that's just what I think. I mean, it really seems like they dumbed down the story. I'm going to be honest. It does. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't lean into the social commentary that they should have, which the original book has in spades. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of wanted a cookie cutter animated despicable me movie. And and that's real with, you know, all the animals as kind of the minion character and the Lorax, sadly, all as kind of minion type characters. Um, and the Onceler becomes your protagonist, which is not the role of the Onceler in the book. Um, they make the choice to depict the onceler in this movie which is something that has never been done in the book he is literally hands and feet uh green fuzzy hands and feet i'm gonna come back to that later um and then in the cartoon he is also green hands and feet um and you just see everything else is done through the narration but the lorax is the only the lorax and the little boy are the only characters with faces everyone else is kind of faceless through all of this um and in this one, they made the choice to depict the Onceler as a as a human, because if you make him some kind of weird monster thing, uh, then, you know, this is someone else's problem. It doesn't put a human face on the issue, which, OK, sure, I get it. But then why not just make everybody that kind of monster type character? Well, then it's not as relatable to the kitties. Uh, I mean, Horton, here's a who? Not as relatable to the kitties. The Grinch? And the Who's in down in Whoville who like Christmas a lot. Yeah, but they're more humanoid. They look more human. I'm just, just kind of weird, deformed humans. But again, if you can sympathize with the Grinch, you can sympathize with the Onceler, which brings me to my my pet theory for this is that the Onceler is a type of Grinch. Uh, I would refute that theory by saying that uh, the Who's are really super tiny. Uh, so how could the Onceler be of the Grinch species? I mean, you don't know that this whole thing doesn't take place on a piece of pollen. That's a fair point. I'm just saying. And then, so then does most of Dr. Seuss's work take place in a very tiny area? I don't know. I'm just, here's the thing. Like there is a, a musical, um, Seussical, the musical that was released several years ago in which if I'm not mistaken, I've never seen Seussical, Seussical heads don't come after me, but if my memory serves the cat in the hat faces the Grinch in that movie or in that show. Well, that is just canonically incorrect. Um, dude, I'm just, I'm just saying, um, that now I could be wrong. I'm going to double check my work here. Okay. I am incorrect because according to this, the Grinch does not appear in this show. Uh, I'm on Wikipedia right now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he does. He is he is a minor character, 
no, a notable resident of Whoville who's responsible for organizing the Christmas pageant based on a tale of his own redemption. So he is in the show, but he is a resident of Whoville because the show apparently, according to, again, according to Wikipedia, uh, combines the stories of Horton Hears a Who, Gertrude McFuzz, and Horton Hatches the Egg. Okay. Again, so. never never seen Seussical. There is some Dr. Seuss property adaptation that does pit the cat in the hat against the Grinch. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called, but it does exist. Well, that's just impossible. Uh, I would say improbable, but not impossible. Well, sure. Just like, just like Tiny Ant-Man could fight Spider-Man, you know. Sure. You know, tiny, tiny little Grinch could fight the cat in the hat, I suppose. I think they were the same size, though. So maybe maybe the cat in the hat got shrunk. Here's the thing. I How have not the cat in the hat be the same size. Cat in the hat is a real life person. Yes, the cat in the hat is a real life person, Brett. Well he done. Is. Good job. He he's, is, he, he's real to me, Stephen. He's Mike Myers, uh, <laughs> and he is a grotesque uh, abomination unto the Lord. He's uh, real to me, Stephen. No, like, he's, he's like full size. He's human size. But again, how do we know those aren't just tiny humans? So the entire Dr. Seuss cinematic universe. I don't know. Sound off in the comments. Let us know. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Does the entire Dr. Seuss uh, cinematic universe take place uh, in microscopy, microscopic? I'm tired. Shut up, Brett. Does it all take place in the quantum realm? <laughs> yes, yeah, there, there you go. Does it all take place in the quantum realm? Is it, the entire Dr. Seuss universe part of the MCU? Sound off in the comments. Is it set in the bottle city of Kandor? Yes or no? Um, Tell us your theories. How does it tie into Hawkeye? Uh, let us know. <laughs> Easter eggs you may have missed in the Hawkeye finale that points to Dr. Seuss being canon in the universe. Oh, we've gone completely off the rails and I am here for it. (laughs) Oh, that is very good. Oh, that is very, very good. Um, But and so then again, yeah, I think the message of the film ends up getting muddled by the framing device, which the framing device is terrible. Can I just say that the framing device of this movie is awful, is very thin. Basically, all the stuff with Zac Efron and the. Thneedville city, the walled city of Thneedville, uh, wherein microscopic, uh, Rob Riggle. I think we can all agree. Rob Riggle's character in this character in this movie is absolutely microscopic. He's a, he's a tiny, tiny Napoleon man. Um, who his, his, he is a businessman who sells air in bottles, uh, much like the character president Scroob in Spaceballs, who is a, uh, elected official who sells water or I'm sorry, who sells air in cans. So, you know, very subtle distinction there. But again, the, the, the whole like main villain motivation of this movie is right out of space balls. Like it's bananas. And if only that reference had been in a better movie, I might've appreciated it. Right. Whereas, whereas in this movie, it's uh, it doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, Cause you're, because they're still, it's not a domed city. Uh, they're still breathing air. Uh, what? Okay, sure. And, and the reason he doesn't want there to be any trees is because trees produce air. Wait for it for free. Right. 
I mean, it's not like this world is. I got a lot of questions now. So yeah. Like, is this world running out of air? Are there no trees at all? Are the Truffula trees the only trees? And if so, how long until this this world runs out of air? Are there other trees? Is that why there's still air? It's not a dome city. Do they know about the world outside? They seem to not know about the world outside. Uh, that doesn't make any sense either. How could they not know there's a world outside? They don't even touch on any of this, Stephen. How dare they? It's called the lore, Axe, okay? <laughs> I need more lore. Thank you. Dude, you are on fire tonight. <laughs> This is what happens when I'm tired. I was going to say, you should podcast tired more often. Whereas I just get all flustered and start forgetting words. You just like, bam, just, just firing them off like crazy. So there's that. Um, a lot of SNL cast members in this movie. You got Ed, uh, Rob Riggle. I almost said Ed Helms. He was not on SNL, but you got Rob Riggle, Jenny Slate, Nassim Pedrad, uh, all in this movie. Um, all Saturday Night Live cast members. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Jenny Slate was not. She was on Parks and Rec. They all feel like they could have. They been do. This like, is yeah. my tired brain is tired. Um, were they all part of like Second City or something? Like, were they all part of the same comedy troupe? Because it probably that probably works. I mean, they do a lot of poaching from Second City. SNL does, but I don't know if that's their thing or not. Um, but Jenny Slate, um, probably best known for uh, Zootopia. She's the secret villain of Zootopia. Spoilers for Zootopia. Um, she's in Parks and my, maybe my favorite of her roles is Parks and Rec, uh, where she is John Ralphio's terrible little sister, uh, Mona Lisa. Sure. Uh, responsible. Money, f- please. Money, please. Um, also responsible for the 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 TikTok sound. Uh, don't be suspicious. Right. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, she's great. Um, but I, I guess the, 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 the thing we should probably talk about at this point, oh, I was talking about the, the, the message of the, of the film and how it's, it's completely muddled. Um, just the, 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 the framing device sets it as more of a yes, environmentalism, but also capitalism, um, which I'm not saying capitalism is great, but it's also not the point Dr. Seuss was trying to make, um, in this in this particular book, like he's talking about industrialism and the effect of that on the uh, on the planet, and then we kind of take this thing and make it about something else that he wasn't trying to say necessarily, which I think is kind of a problem. I would argue that they didn't really give two shits about what Doctor Zeus was trying to say. I I again it it does I that bears out I think in this movie it seems like they're more interested in the property of the Lorax and they are in telling the story of the Lorax in any kind of particularly interesting way. This feels like they just, this feels like an adaptation that was done by somebody who didn't get it. Like it was just like, Oh, all the Lorax. I love that story from when I was a kid. Let's make a movie. Yeah. And somebody's like, you know what this this is really about, right? No, not what. No, this is just a cute story about a uh, mythical creature that protects trees. What? what? Mm. No, it's not about. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, you know, let's make him into a buffoon so that we undercut his message. Um, I don't know. It's it. It just it doesn't end up holding up. And then there are car chases like the Lorax has multiple car chases, multiple car chases. In the Lorax, Brett. 
Yeah, look, man, it's just this is it's just a straight up animated kids movie. I don't know what more you want me to tell you. It's it's but it's not the Lorax. I guess is is the is the real problem that I have. Like technically, the pieces are there, but they're done in such a way that I think undercut the the whole point of the Lorax. The reason the Lorax exists, yeah, which is yeah. to speak for the trees. Yeah. That, that's a that's a ten for a good buddy. I feel like it's a cynical movie. It's a cynical exercise in, uh, in 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 movie making that ultimately bears out in an ineffectual film. Um, but here's the thing: if if the recent Twitter discourse has taught me anything, it's that if I don't like this movie, then I'm anti environmental. Is is really what I'm learning from this movie? Um. Let's not go down that rabbit hole, Stephen. Nobody's got time for that. I, of all me. I, it, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if this, I legitimately don't know if this movie is better or worse than Don't Look Up because I rated them exactly the same thing on Letterboxd. So. Here's the thing. I don't, I didn't want to see uh, Don't Look Up. And I especially don't want to see it now. Mm-hmm. So I will never watch it. That's fine. Um, You're not missing so much. Good. It's not a good movie. So, so good job, film Twitter. Uh, Here's the thing. I don't, I, I, I would not blame film Twitter so much as uh, the, the people who made this movie that are like coming after film Twitter for not liking it. Um, maybe that's because I find myself in agreement with film Twitter on this one, but yeah. Wait, really? I thought film Twitter was all up in arms that this is a great movie. And if you didn't like it, you're a dick. Uh, no, no, that's the people who made the movie. That's uh well see, this is what happens when you try to distance yourself from film Twitter and you don't want any part of it. You don't get the whole story. So thank you for filling me in. No problem. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh but again, this movie is 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 uh, capital V very capital I important. And uh, you know, we should take it very seriously, and it's probably going to win Best Picture and uh, Best Director this year. So the Lorax gonna win Best Picture, Best Director this year. So maybe it was it was the other discourse about uh, uh, superhero movies uh, and the, the the fall of cinema as we know it. Sure, and art is dead. Uh, I mean, much, you know. much like print, art is also dead. Um, Here's the thing: um, movies are great, and I love them. Uh, not everyone's going to like every movie. Uh, you liking a movie doesn't make you special. You disliking a movie doesn't make you special. Uh, you're not special. You just like movies. Um, and sometimes I wonder if you even like movies. Sometimes I think you just like getting into arguments on the internet. Um, not you, Brett, but just, you know, the, the general you, the yeah. royal you, the royal you. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's uh, just fandom. Well, mm-hmm. fandom. Uh, we, we have come right back full circle to fandom. Again. This it's, time we're talking about movie fandom. It's that point we always li- like to make. Um, hey, Brett, I have a question for you. Yo, what's up? Uh, how do you feel about the Nickelodeon show Salute Your Shorts? I'm a huge old fan of that show. Um, so uh, the cousins Brett and Chet in this movie, uh-huh. uh, they're voiced by one Danny Cooksey, uh, who you might know as uh, Bobby Budnick. Well, would you look at that? I'm, I, I ju- I, that's a thing I literally just saw looking at this cast list. I was like, Danny Cooksey, I know that name. Uh, he is also um, John Connor's friend in Terminator 2. Well, that's super cool. Yeah. So that's a thing that you all know now. Uh, and I'm glad uh, that you know. 
Although I got to tell you, just one more asshole named Brett made me roll my goddamn eyes. <laughs> Man, I get it. Be, be, be thankful most of yours are fictional. All of mine are real. Uh, looking at you, Trump cabinet. <laughs> but uh, look, all I got to do is say Brett Kavanaugh and uh, okay. end, of, end of argument. Um, right. Well, yeah, but I've got I've got Mnuchin. Um, I've got uh, oh shit, who I've got I've got tons of other ones, man. Now, fortunately, I also have Colbert and Tobolowski, and that that's a mark in my favor. So, Stephen Tobolowski, who is in this movie as Uncle Ub. Well, uh, way to bring it back. Um, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, no, really, honestly, look, let's just let's get down to brass tacks here, Steve. Let's let's do let's let's get into the Betty White of it, Brett. Yeah, that's why we're here. That's that is why we're here. The rest, the, the the previous fifty minutes of this podcast have just been preamble to get us to the Betty talk. Pretty much. Um. So I was actually out of town this past week, and I went out to Ohio to visit past and future guest Phil Smith, um, out in Ohio, and. While I was driving to Ohio, I get a text from you saying, yo, are there any Betty White failed franchise starters we could cover this week? Uh, So I pulled into a rest area so I could read the text. I read the text. I looked at her filmography and saw that Betty White had passed away on Friday, December 31st, 2021, uh, like just shy of like less than three weeks from her 100th birthday, um, which is insane. Uh, I mean, the woman has been a, a show business staple for longer than my father has been alive. Um, like that's just how enduring and endearing she has been. Uh, her first, uh, credited role is in 1949. Um, so, I mean, she's just been at this thing for the better part of 80 years uh, in showbiz, which is impressive to say the least. Um, she's not really done anything since 2019, but still like it's that's still a long and storied career, um, of course, gained huge notoriety on the Golden Girls Um but before that, she was Mary Tyler Moore, I guess, for the previous generation. Our generation, of course, probably knows her best from Golden Girls. And for that, we thank her for being a friend. Down the road and back again. Uh, her heart was true. She was a pal and a confidant. And you know what, Brett? If she threw a party and invited everyone she knew, the biggest gift would be from all of us. And the card that was attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Thank you for doing the rest of that. I didn't really remember the rest of the I Okay, so here's here's the thing. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to admit this yet. I'm going to admit this on the second um episode of Dis and Five Chives for this month. Uh cuz uh we'll be we'll be talking about TV theme songs and I will admit my behind a paywall, I will admit my stupid human trick that I that I am I'm loath to admit in company. Is there's things Stephen, I think you already have. Uh, have I admitted that on this show? You, you've admitted it on something, but I don't know if it was behind the paywall already or not. Oh, I hope it was behind the paywall, because here's the thing. I, I don't like admitting that. I really don't. Um, <laughs> Look, man, it's, it's, we all have our gifts. Uh, it's But see, in my case, it's often a curse because, well, never mind. I will. We'll get into this off mic. 
Um, sure. But I mean, Betty White, she is. She's an absolute staple. She's a gift. Uh, and we are all of us lucky to have her, um, to have had her for as long as we did. I think, if I am not mistaken, there actually is a documentary that is just a couple of weeks away from coming out that was about her turning 100. Um, like they had filmed a documentary and it was like in it's in post-production right now. Um, it's, and it's about her and her turning a hundred and, uh, it feels, it feels like bad timing, but yeah, people magazine released an issue about her turning a hundred. I saw, uh, some, some stuff on social media about like this in about like, give it like 10 to 15 years. This will be the new Mandela effect. Yeah. Um, people will think that she was a hundred. Yeah, that, um, that's a good point. So, because you want to see a Mandela effect in real time. Keep your eyes peeled. You heard it here first. Well, maybe not first, but you heard it here best, as articulated by our good friend Brett. Not Cat. Hi, hello. Hi, hello. Hi, hello. Hi, hi. Um, Brett, do you have a favorite Betty White role or performance? Um, I mean, here's here's a shocking revelation that may lose me a lot of points with a lot of people. Oh, no. I don't think I've ever seen an entire episode of Golden Girls. What? Um, no wonder you don't know the theme song. I mean, I know most of it. Uh, but look, here's the thing. I don't know. I just never watched it. It was never a thing for me. Um, my my parents didn't watch it. My grandparents didn't watch it. I never watched it. I never thought it was anything I would ever want to watch to begin with. Didn't seem like my thing. So I never watched it. So when I grew up and like literally everyone in my generation is like, isn't golden girls the best. And I'm like, um, no, it's not. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you see this thing I'm holding up to the camera right now? Brett? I do. Yes. It is a golden girls keychain. That is a golden girls keychain that was given to my wife by her cousin, along with a golden girls mug. Um, Golden Girls is a big part of my a big part of the Foxworthy household. Um, yeah. So when you ask me that, the, most people's go to is going to be, well, yeah, or, or, or roll on Golden Girls. Not me. Uh, it's at the bottom, non-existent really, because wow. I've never really watched the show. Uh, so I mean, my answer to that question, I mean, I have something I or, I. Th- think i think would be your answer but i'm I'm not sure if it's actually going to be now i mean i don't know give it to me man you might be right well i want to hear what yours is first uh well i mean i really liked her on community she okay. was, very good, she was community. very good on community um i don't know my mind is doing that thing where i'm on the spot so it's gone blank Sure. Uh, I was going to I was going to suggest uh, the 1999 uh, horror Placid. film Lake Placid. Yeah. Lake Placid. Yes. Very good. Knowing yes. knowing your affinity for horror films and uh, knowing that she was on that, that was going to be my. And I also know you have a certain affinity for Mary Tyler Moore. So I was going to suggest perhaps maybe the Mary Tyler Moore show. Also true. Yeah, I did. I did watch a significant. Now, that's something I did do that our generation loves is watch a lot of Nick at Night. Yeah. So I did. I did watch a lot of Mary Tyler Moore. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, Betty White on that. Also good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, those 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 those, those are the three. Yeah, you're right. OK. Uh, whereas for me, it's it's obviously Rose Nyland number one uh, with a bullet. 
uh, Love Rose. Um, and then, uh, did you know there was a spinoff of the Golden Girls, Brett? There were actually, I think, two spinoffs of the Golden Girls, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one is called Empty Nest, uh, which is about a, uh, a widower doctor and his daughters, uh, his grown adult daughters. Uh, and the other is called Golden Palace, in which everybody but B. Arthur from the Golden Girls, um, uh, they open a hotel called the Golden Palace. All right. Yeah. Cool. So it's uh, it's Rose, Blanche, and, and Sophia, um, who is um, Dorothy's mom, uh, B. Arthur's character's mom. And they open a hotel. And uh, it is it also that show also stars. Oh, my gosh. Um, Don Cheadle and Cheech Marin, who are both in every single episode of the show. So Academy Award nominee Don Cheadle and uh, 70s uh, comedy staple Cheech Marin. Neat. Um, But I also uh, I loved her appearance on SNL. I thought was really great. Um, She is in. I mean, she's she's done so much television, like anything that ran in syndication that I've seen, I've seen her pop up in. So like she did stuff with. Uh, yes, dear wild thornberries. Um, the practice she was on, um, there was a uh, Joey she was on, uh, Malcolm in the middle, the Simpsons. Um, I mean, she's just kind of been around. She's been doing TV for, for years and years. She's also a voice in the English dub of Ponyo. That's cool. Which I've not seen. So I can't speak to that one. Uh, and she also had well, apparently I do not usually watch English dubs. Right. Cause I, You're because I'm that weeb. <laughs> I mean, you said it, man. Uh, you said it. So I don't have to. For our sins, for our sins. Um, but yeah, I mean, Betty White, she's she's an absolute freaking treasure. Um, and um, I mean, we we just we need an excuse to talk about her. So that's why we watch this terrible movie. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. She's probably the best part of this movie. Yeah, 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 that's probably correct. Yep. Uh, I, like I said, she's not, or like you've said, she's not really given much to do in this movie because uh, no one outside of Ed Helms and Zac Efron, and even Zac Efron, eh, but really has a lot to do in this movie. So so I don't think she's got a lot to do. But um, here, here's something funny about this movie. You get Zac Efron and you get Taylor Swift. They don't sing a note. But Betty White's got a solo, baby. Hell yeah, she does. So, you know, that's 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 a, a feather for your cap, Betty White. Um, but yeah, we we absolutely miss you, Betty. This episode is dedicated to your memory. Uh, sorry, it has to be this episode, but uh, one five primetime Emmys. That's uh, no slouch. Honestly, we probably could have done like Placid. It's a horror movie. They probably wanted to do a sequel. They did five sequels. Oh, they did. Oh, God. Yeah. A direct to TV and direct to video, man. They even had a that franchise even had a crossover with Anaconda. <laughs> the tracks. <laughs> uh, all of that tracks. I can't believe I can't. I, look, I want to be surprised. I'm not. Here's the thing. I think the last movie in both of those franchises is Lake Placid versus Anaconda. So we could totally cover that if we really wanted to. We could cover that movie on Unenfranchised one day. Uh, what is potentially the greatest of all of the versus horror movies? I mean, there are several of them. Um, 
But yeah, and we're actually going to be talking about one of them on Unenfranchised in July. Yeah. Wink. So, I'm, I'm absolutely being facetious. It's probably terrible. I'm sure it is. I'm sure. I'm sure. Here's the thing. Most of those versus horror movies, though, not good. I mean, I haven't. It, it's been a long time since I saw Freddy versus Jason. I was going to say, lo- when Freddy versus Jason is your gold standard, there's a problem. Well, in your opinion. Uh, yes. And the, and the <laughs> and, exactly. And the one the one we're doing in July, I have high hopes about. So I kind of do, too, despite the fact that I know nothing about either of the franchises that it is. We're, we're, we're really showing our hand here, but you know what? Who cares? Well, well, look, knowing you and I will probably do the same. You'll watch all of both series before we cover that one. Um, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, cause that's a lot. There's a lot there to cover. If, if I'm going to right. I'm gonna try to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to, I appreciate your, uh, your, uh, your dedication. I, I would recommend starting now. I'm going to come in hot with the lore. I'm, uh, I mean, that is, that is, that is your mode, man. That is your default setting. So, and also there's a lot of them, but there's not so many that I got to start six months early. I'm just saying, man, I don't know how easy they are to get a hold of. I don't know. Just check Amazon. All right, man. I hope you're able to find them all is all I'm saying. All right. Well, but I'll do my due diligence. But yeah, the Lorax. So um, this movie opened. Anyway, the Lorax. Anyway, might as well. Let's wrap it up. Let's land this plane. All right. This movie comes out the weekend of March 2nd, 2012. It opens at number one at the box office, making 70.2 million dollars in its opening weekend which is insane uh but until you look at what the rest of the top 10 is and then you're like oh okay that makes sense um in number two also opening new this week is project x uh which as far as i know is the stupid it's like one of those like stupid party movies right how did you asking me i got no idea for as, for as all as i know it's just a what if there was a Project X? <laughs> Touche. Um, the tagline is the party you've only dreamed about. Three high school seniors throw a birthday party to make a name for themselves. As the night progresses, things spiral out of control as word of the party spreads. Um, so it's probably like a really irreverent can't hardly wait is my guess. But uh, but yeah, it's got um, mostly people I've never heard of. Uh, Miles Teller is the first name I recognize in this cast. And he's like maybe eighth build ninth build. Uh, Martin Kleba is the second person that I recognize and he is credited as angry little person. So, uh, yeah, not the only thing I know about this movie is it's a dumb party movie. And there was one time I went to, um, half price books and this was on the shelf and I was looking at it. And as I was trying to remember what the movie was about, uh, this girl comes up and like just grabs it off the shelf and walks away. And <laughs> they're going, what are the odds that she would happen to grab the movie I'm trying to contemplate in this moment? Uh, and I'm not going to stop her and be like, oh, sorry, I was trying to contemplate what that movie was. Or I'm sorry, could you explain to me what this movie is? I'm just like, fuck it. It's gone. I don't yeah, care you that much. You should have asked her. Yeah, I'm sure that would have gone well. Uh, in third place this weekend is Act of Valor, uh, which is, I'm guessing, it looks like one of those Peter Berg war movies. Um, it is, in fact, a Mike McCoy, Scott Waugh war movie. 
Uh, it's got Rosalind Sanchez in it. She's uh, she's very pretty. Uh, I like her. Um, but it's in its second week right now. It had opened number one the weekend before. It's made forty five million in just two weeks. Um, so uh, Lorax doing double that in its opening weekend. Um, in fourth place, holding steady at four in its fourth week is the movie Safe House. Uh, what if there was a safe house? Uh, and then in fifth place, uh, which had uh, fallen from second to five in its uh, second weekend, is Tyler Perry's Good Deeds. Uh, rounding out the top ten, a movie that we discussed, I think, not that long ago, Journey to the Mysterious Island. Uh, seventh, The Vow. Eight, This Means War. Nine Ghost Rider colon Spirit of Vengeance and ten Wonderlust. Um really, really bad top ten there, Brett. Good lord. That's just a dumpster fire of just Ugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie goes on to gross $214 million, making it one of the more uh, one of the highest grossing movies we've covered on this podcast. Uh, that's just domestic too. It earns another 137 um, internationally for uh, about 351 worldwide. Um, and yet there was not a sequel again, probably because they would have had to come up with an original idea and they were already stretched pretty thin coming up with the framing device for this bitch. Um, the tomatometer score is a 54%. Uh, the meta score is a 46 and the letterboxd score is a two point nine out of five brett out of five stars how did you rank dr seuss's the lorax i can't believe the average was that high i gave it one single star i gave it an additional half for betty white i gave it a one and a half but i you know i I would not go higher than that she's the only reason i gave it one star i mean touche um but i mean yeah betty white is probably the best thing this movie has going for it she's great she's wonderful i love her to death um and uh yeah we should all we should all strive to be a little more uh a little more like her and a little less like the 2012 movie the lorax agreed yeah so any any final thoughts on the lorax brett any anything else you want to say about the lorax um i mean i'd be remiss if i didn't at least mention that there were some games that came out because it's lorax Brett, what are, what are we doing here in this uh, in the in the the side of the room like this? Is this is this Brett's video game corner? I don't know. We're kind of there, not completely though, because this is just. I expected to find when I did research for this, I expected to find more educational games at least because it's a Doctor Seuss property. Sure. Um, not really. Uh, really, most of the games that I found. Uh, we're just dumb promotional mobile games uh, for this movie specifically, um, like the Lorax Marshmallow Munch. Yeah, the uh, the whole idea that we're feeding marshmallows to woodland creatures to to get them on our side is is painful. I don't like it. Yeah, you can make some kind of social commentary there about how we're just feeding sugar to make the masses complacent with our bad deeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, that's, that's given the writers way too much credit. I will say my favorite joke in the movie is when the Lorax opens the refrigerator and that giant barbalute is shoving an entire, um, stick of butter in his mouth, like just very slowly, just 
shut with a single finger sliding that butter down his gullet. I thought that was pretty funny. Unironically, I thought that was funny. <laughs> that did that did elicit a chuckle. Um, the fish singing the Mission Impossible theme also got a small chuckle out of me. Uh, that got an eye roll from me, but yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a small chuckle. It wasn't much of one. Sure. I got to throw this movie a bone, I guess. Um, I mean, you didn't but, give it uh, no stars. It's not food fight levels of terrible. Right. Um, but that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. I was really disappointed. Uh, I expected, I mean, Dr. Seuss, the other Dr. Seuss properties from just from memory, I know have more of a uh, video game lineage. Um, so I expected this one to have some. Not really. Um, there might be some older games I didn't find, but that's about it. So that's all I got to say about the Lorex. All right. Well, he might speak for the trees, but uh, he needs to uh, speak a little more loudly and maybe uh, a little more clearly. Um, and, you know, just uh, also, can we just briefly talk about the fact that Taylor Swift's character in this movie is horny for trees? And that the only reason that the main action of the movie ends up taking place at all is because Zac Efron's character is horny for her and she's horny for trees. Well, yeah, I thought that maybe that was the most unintentionally, uh, I don't know if I want to say profound thing. Um, but when, when the one slur is like, you know, when a guy does something stupid, that's just being a guy. But when he does something stupid twice, it's, <laughs> it's because he's got a thing for a girl. Uh, I mean, there it's a, uh, that's a mood, my friends. That's, <laughs> that is what we call that. That is, that is what that is. Uh, yeah, no, hundred percent. That's, uh, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, it's not a good movie. If you like it, uh, we'd love to know why let us know disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Also, uh, is the one slur Grinch does the entire Dr. Seuss, uh, canon take place, uh, on, you know, in the bottle city of Candor in the quantum realm in, um, What's the name of the Kang the Conqueror city from the comics? Oh, that, that's that's deep Marvel Comics lore. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. What's the name of that city? Uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know. Uh, let us know all the information that we've forgotten because we're bad nerds who are just very, very tired. Uh, yeah, really. Just tell us tell us your favorite Betty White role. Like, just, yeah. let's not even talk about the Lorax. Like, I don't even care. Just I mean, us. I could I could I could do with some Dr. Seuss lore explanation. Okay, well, sure. Well, I mean, that's Dr. Seuss lore explanation. I, I mean, this movie in particular. I mean, touche. Um, why everyone's so horny for trees? Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know about that. Uh, Have you seen a tree, Steven? <laughs> a tree? What's that? Why do we need trees? Giving away air for free. Pfft. What a dumb, what a dumb conceit. I'm sorry. I don't want there to be trees because they give away air for free. What the hell? What the actual hell? Um, I don't know, man. I This movie's bad. Um, <laughs> uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know any the answers to any of those questions except why so horny for trees. Um, you can also hit us up on social media. We are at disenfranchpod on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook. Um, also check out our Patreon. We've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, we've got some really cool stuff coming up this month. And in fact, uh, uh, the latest episode of Disson five tries dropped yesterday as of the release of this episode where Brett and I recount our top five films of 
all time. What are the movies that have stood the tests of time for us? The ones that we keep coming back to, the ones that we esteem above all others. Uh, you got to hit us up on Patreon to find out. Uh, that is available at the $3 level. At the $5 level, you can check out our three-hour-long conversation with friend of the show, Hope Lichner, about The Matrix Revolutions before uh, The Matrix Resurrections came out. Um, Matrix Resurrections came out. Uh, Hope and I both loved it. Brett thought it was good. No, I thought it was great. Hold okay. on. Okay. Back up. I, I thought felt, it was I, great. I felt just short of love. Okay. Let's let's be clear here. Whereas I un, unequivocally, unabashedly loved it. I said, I think on my on our um Chaos Walking episode that Dune was my favorite episode of 2021 or favorite movie of 2021. I may have spoken prematurely because the Matrix Rev, uh, Resurrections, I think, has superseded it in my mind. Uh, I have not been able to stop thinking about that movie uh, in one form or another since I saw it last week. So um, loved it. Loved it. Thought it was fantastic. Need to watch it again a couple more times. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Hope, hope, and, uh, hope and I talk uh, talk for three and a half hours about Matrix Revolutions, uh, which you can find. That's our show, Unenfranchised, where we talk about movies that killed franchises as opposed to movies that failed to kick off franchises, which is what this podcast is about. Uh, so you can check that out for the $5 level, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Uh, and every, uh, you know, we're not, you know, spending this money on, you know, buying ourselves, you know, pedicures or some shit where this is all this money goes right back into the podcast. Uh, to enable us to bring you the quality content that we think you deserve uh, and that hopefully you think you deserve as well. Uh, hopefully you think it's good content and are are, are enjoying it because we enjoy putting it out for you. But uh, check that out. Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Join it either the three or five dollar level and we will love you forever. Um, also. You can check me, Stephen Foxworthy, one of your hosts out on social media. I am at Chewy Walrus on Twitter, Instagram and letterboxd brett where can we find you on the social medias you can find me on twitter letterboxd and instagram i've been up i've been updating my letterbox pretty regularly i i saw that uh when i went to pull up this movie i saw that you had left uh not a review but a rating so yeah i don't i'm not gonna do a whole lot of rating i like reviews that's (laughs) i just that's what that's what like keeps me from not doing it is Thinking I have to write a review for everything. Just one or two sentences, man. That's all I usually nope. do. Nope. Nope. Not too much. Do too uh, much. Yep. Too much. Right. Uh, I'm just going to throw some stars on there and we're going to be done. All right. Unless I have something very strong to say. Okay. Um, but anyway, you can find me at those three places at sus underscore warlock. Fantastic. Well, that is all for our very first episode of 2022. And it wasn't it a great episode, folks. Uh, many people are saying it. Uh, love love that first episode of the Dis- Disenfranchised Podcast for 2022. Um, hey, we're thankful you're here. We're grateful you're here. Uh, we've got some really cool stuff planned this year. We've got Brett and I were actually talking just before we got started. We've got three theme months, not including Spookython this year, already on the calendar. Um, so we've got some really cool stuff. We've got some really cool guests uh, coming up as well. Uh, so join us next week. Uh, what could we be talking about? I don't know, man. Think about it. We got a we got a new entry in a long running franchise coming out. Um, so I don't know, maybe something about that. I don't know. Think about it. You'll figure it out. At any rate, um, this has been the Lorax episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for Brett Wright and myself. Hey, thank you guys for being our friends. <laughs>